it, it flows right into what's going on here this morning. And with saying that, uh, it's, it's incredibly important to me that, can, can I say something that might rock your boat a little bit? Okay, thank you. There's nothing in the New Testament that is about when you die. Because the whole thing in the New Testament is now you're living. That's the gospel. You are living. And, and I want to say this because as I get into this this morning, I want to I I show us something that just has blown my mind. But yeah, the gospel is about now. Can you say amen? It is right now. And because of what it is now, it shall be. Don't begin with shall be. It's not future glory that I want to talk about. So let, let me talk about this. Let me, let me get into this. John chapter 1. It's right there in your notes. Again, the next day, John, John the Baptist, by the way, stood with two of his disciples, okay? John the Baptist, two of his disciples, looking at Jesus as he walked, and he said, Behold the Lamb. Get this in context. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then when Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? What do you want? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? Where are you staying? That's why this title is, Where Do You Live? Uh, he said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. That was about the 10th hour. So it's about 10 o'clock in, in the morning. John the Baptist, I want to paint the picture for you very quickly, and I'm going to get into just a couple, boom, points that I want you to rise up with this morning and realize something even more than what you came in with. And, and, and what I'm saying here is, is, first of all, John the Baptist has just finished speaking and just gotten done baptizing, and he's now standing, walking around sort of a little bit, but basically standing, and the crowd is milling around him. John the Baptist had, had, had been addressing the known word, okay? And, and, and what's really incredible about John and John's ministry is that he pulls in from all over the world, the known world at that time. And, and so you've got all these people that are around that have come and they have been listening. They have been taught and, and day after day, baptism. I mean, but the, and then you have John. Of course, John's dressed in a Sunday go-to-meeting suit, right? Camel's hair, long kind of. He just looked weird and he looked crazy. And he loved, you know, barbecue locusts, uh, stuff like that. As a matter of fact, he was the cry in the wilderness, if you remember. So, it, it's interesting where, it, you know, he preached, he would preach in front of uh, large crowds. And, and where he preached was located basically in one spot. And so, here they would come, all of them coming around. And, and it would be once they got there, because they came from all around, it would be too far from home to go back home. So what they would do is they would sleep on the hillsides. Crowds upon crowds all spread out all over the hills in their, you know, little sleeping bags or whatever they happened to bring for their 
their, their supplies, they would sleep on the hillsides. So, understand this in the context of what we just read. Jesus is walking through the crowds. He's walking through the crowds where John the Baptist has been preaching and baptizing. At this point, Jesus has already been baptized. He has been actually as well in the wilderness for six weeks. And now he's come back, and what he's doing is he's walking through the crowds. And John sees him, and he declares, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, let, 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 me, let, me, let me throw this out real quick as I'm getting into this. How old do you think the disciples were of Jesus? I mean, you, you have John, and, and the two that are mentioned here is John, who became the Apostle John, and the other one that's mentioned here is Andrew, who is Peter's brother, and he'll go and, and get, gets, you know, finds Philip and, and Nathaniel, just, you know, take a really good look at it. How old do you think they were? Now, I know, I, know, I know how old you think they were because of the movies you've seen, right? And there, some of them guys are, you know, pretty old and pretty, you know, feisty with the beard and everything. You know, and, but based on the culture of that day, and I can say this to you with, with absolute certainty, that John the Baptist at that time was only 13 or 14 years old. Andrew would have been around 16 or 17. The only one who would have been actually over the age of 18 would have been Peter. That's because he was married, and in that culture, you never got married until you were 18. Now, maybe Matthew might have been in his 20s because of the position he held as a tax collector. Uh, but, but again, they were all teenagers. And, 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 and John is, is, is basically 13, 14 Especially, you know, I look at this from when you read those epistles, those letters of theirs. If, if they were older men when they started out with Jesus, how old were they when they were writing those letters at the end of the New Testament? And in this culture, from when you were basically like a, a year old on, especially by the time you're 12 where your bar mitzvah would take place, you would have accumulated and memorized massive amounts of scripture and you would have memorized them by heart it didn't matter you could sit down and pull up any scripture you wanted to when you're talking with others that's how deeply rooted the scriptures were within you that you had memorized and remember we're talking teenagers now teenagers we're talking a culture now so if you had let's let's say a, a calling let's say you were one of those teenage boys and you just felt, you know, overwhelmed that you should be doing more or God's calling you into a certain place. What you would do as a teenager is that you would go and you would present yourself to a rabbi and you would say, I want to become your disciple. Okay? I want to become your disciple. And here's what would happen. When you went there... As a result, the rabbis would interrogate you with Scripture. They would interrogate you with questions over and over and over again. And that's what would take place. But have you ever stopped to realize that's what happened in the temple when Jesus was 12? He was under this interrogation 
by the rabbis, and he was blowing their mind because he, it wasn't that he was answering things wrong. or they just never seen it that way before. And in this case, we have Jesus choosing disciples. That's never happened. Normally, the teenager in that culture comes up to the rabbi and asks to be the disciple. Here, you have Jesus choosing his disciples. Remember, he would say later, he would say, you didn't choose me, but what? I chose you. These teenagers have already gone to John the Baptist, and they, it says, were John's disciples, correct? They've gone to him and applied to become his disciples. So, again, they are the disciples of John. Now, John sees Jesus and says, you know, that, that, that's the guy I've been talking about, boys. All this time that I've been talking about, look, he's God's lamb. And at that point, they leave John the Baptist and they follow after Jesus. So I hope you got the picture here of what's been happening in just these few verses and how it's been laid out. Because when they come to Jesus, you've, you've got to get in the picture here. So Jesus turns to them and says, what do you want? What do you seek? And it's interesting. What, he's, he's really, it's, it's sort of a, a, I love our translation sometimes, the way that English is so confined to the actual language of what's really being said. He said, what do you really want? What are you seeking? And that word seeking there is huge. It's huge because it carries with it the understanding of a passion, a passion to find. Do you know what I mean as far as a passion? Let's say somebody recommended you a restaurant, you're out there looking for it, and you can't find it, and you're really hungry, and you've got this passion to find it. You're going to, okay, I'm just, that's like throwing food anyways. But, but what I'm saying is, when you're seeking for this, there's a passion where you won't let up. Can I put it this way? When God literally stands in front of us and asks, what do you really want? What, what, what are you, he's, he's addressing your heart, my, my deepest self. What is it that you seek? What is it that you crave? What is it that you are pursuing until you have it? That's what he's saying to them. That, that, that's what he's coming at them with. Now, today, if you ask a 13 or 14 or 15-year-old, what do you really want? New cell phone, I take the i-14 if you don't mind. They want these new clothes that have nothing but holes in them all over the place. And with that phone, of course, they want to be an influencer. They want all the hits, you know. You know, I think sometimes in our culture today, what we've done, and I know I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I can't get away from it. In our culture today, I believe that we advance at dumbing people down until they're senseless, numb. Nothing seems to affect. Okay, I said it, I'm done, let's get past it. 
what these guys said to Jesus was, where are you staying? Now remember, again, let's get back to what we're talking about here. They're sleeping on the hills here. So they're sleeping amongst all these people. So they're going to sleep wherever they can find room. So they've all got their stuff. They've staked their ground, so forth and so on. Where are you staying? I mean, you know, it could be maybe we just want to come talk to you, spend some time with you, get to know you a little bit. But that, 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 that word staying, that's what captures me. It's translated all the way through the Gospels, uh, uh, all the way through especially the Gospel of John as the word, it's the same word, abide. In other words, that Greek word that he uses, that's used here in the word of staying is the word abide. Staying, friend, is one thing. Abiding is a much larger word. Would you agree with me on that? And, and, and abiding means that I continue to be present to a binding relationship. In other words, I'm in this for the long haul. It's a covenant relationship is what it breaks down to. And a covenant relationship is a life or death bond to begin with. It has this remaining idea. Remain. Jesus said, come and you will see. I'm going to go through this very quickly. But the word see. In Greek, <laughs> there's more than one word for the word that we know as see. This one, this word for see means someone who appears to you and you then see them. Someone who appears to you and then you then see them. It was, listen, it was used every time that Jesus appeared after his resurrection. Every time he appears, this word is used. So the saw, but it's a saw of surprise, if I can put it that way. The word contains the idea of, wow, I never expected that. It, it, it has in it the idea of eyes being wide open, going buggy-eyed, so to speak. It was what happened to me the other day when I was at the grocery store and the cashier told me what the total of the groceries were. I went, wow! And my eyes got this big. I said, I need to take off that 30 pounds of butter there, if you would. I'm just kidding. But, but that's what it says. It's the idea of having my eyes wide open. I have seen something that eyes normally don't see. It's beyond, if I can put it this way, it's, it's beyond, it's, it's inner eyes, right? It's the eyes of the heart being what? Open. What they're saying, they're saying to Jesus, we want to know where you abide. In other words, where you are remaining 24-7 where you are living 24-7. Jesus, Jesus says, come, and you're going to see. You're going to have 
your eyes open to see where I abide, which really is beyond your comprehension right now, John. So he'll take them, obviously, to the place that he slept last night, along the hillside there, along, along with all the others. They, 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 they stayed there with him probably all day. And, and what, was, what Jesus was saying as he continued to talk with them is, I'm not taking you to a place where I slept last night. That may be that when we sit down and talk, yeah, that might be where we're at, but I'm going to take you where I abide, where I really live. His dwelling, obviously, as we know, was a dimension of life, not just a place. His dwelling was a dimension of life. Now, listen, <laughs> I get excited with this stuff. I'm, I'm sorry. It, it, it just, <clears throat> I want you to take a look very quickly at John 1.18 here. And I want to give it to you in the Amplified because I love the way it expresses it. It says, no man has ever seen God at any time, the only unique son or the only begotten God who is in the bosom. Notice this, who is, where is he at? He's in the bosom in the intimate presence of the Father. He has declared him. He has revealed him and brought him out where he can be seen. He has interpreted him and has made him known. I get excited about this verse because it's all, it, where he lives. He Listen, where he lives, it tells us right there. He lives in intimacy. He lives in presence. Intimate presence. This is where he remains. That, that's where he dwells. This is where he, quote, remains. And, and the union that's there. Oh, oh friend, I, I'm, I'm serious when I say this to you because there's a couple things here. Oh, I, I just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, well, no, I'm going to skip that. We're going to go on anyways. <clears throat> there's a union with son. Father and Holy Spirit that exists. And within that union, that intimacy, this is where he lives. Call it a family circle if you want. I don't care. But that's the idea there is that's where he remains. That's where he lives. And, 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 and as a result, he is in union and they're joined to each other so that he walks in and with the Spirit he hears, sees and follows the Father. They're in. They're joined together. And then when Jesus takes our flesh, he never stopped living in the bosom of his Father. T -t Take a look at John 1. <laughs> in the beginning before all time, in the beginning before all time, was the Word, Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word of God was was God himself oh okay that's where he lives I'll say it again that's where he so the question I have is where do you live where do you abide 
I'll show you because, friend, listen to me very carefully. It's not a place. It's a state of being. It's a dimension of life. It's, it's a love relationship. It's a heart matter, not an address. So what I'm saying is here, he, he, you have Jesus, and he's walking through this crowd, right? He is God incarnate, and he's just jostling around the people through the crowd, and he's here, but his dwelling his abiding is in God the Father in the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Do, do you understand that we were created to abide in that circle of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? You and I were created to abide in that. Listen, God came to dwell in us and to show us what we were created to be. Yes, he did. He came to dwell in us to show us what we were created to be. Jesus came to say, this is what you were meant to be. Dwelling in God while dwelling by living in this address. In other words, dwelling in God while living in this address. Dwelling in him. Because, friend, that's your anchor place. You, you don't... You don't leave here, in other words. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing right along here. Ephesians chapter 1, it says, just as he... I'll get into this. Just as he chose us in him, when? Think about it. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. How? Ooh. He chooses us in Christ. Do you realize that's before the fall? This is pre-fall. This is before the foundation of of the world. Do, hello? Knock, knock. Anybody home? That means don't. <laughs> Some of you are going to open up your eyes for a second. You're going to look at me and go, well, he's preaching heresy. Yep. I got hair all over. Can you see? From a man who's going bald. Yes. Don't you ever think, please, that the coming of Jesus in the gospel is about the fall of Adam. That he came to get rid of sin and save you from hell when you die. Yes, that all happens. And right now you're wondering, what is he saying? I am saying that just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, this, this blows my mind. You were to be in him before the fall of Adam. You were to be in him before the foundation of the world. You are bound to him. Hello, somebody. And being bound to him, we're talking about union. 
We're talking about a union that is all about who he, mm, I can get in the union, you know that, that we are fused together, joined together, made one together in Christ. And what I'm saying there is that when we come to that place where we confess our sins, where we are receiving his grace, but he is, he is letting us know, he is surrounding us, he is forming us, he is breathing life into us. He is healing us. He is saving us. He is restoring us. He is renewing us. He's making us whole. He's bringing us to the place that we were meant to be even before the foundation of the world. We are bound in a union to him. What he does is he brings us into the family of Father and Holy Spirit. We are in him and he is in us. Yeah. Hello, believer. Duh, shucks. I hope I get to heaven someday. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to go there. No, I just, I, I, need to, I need to finish this out. I told you I'd keep it short, and so I'm going to finish it out. Can anybody say amen? I believe the church today has entered into a dementia of who her family is. And I believe that that dementia is a lie. It's a deception. It's a slander straight from the pit of hell. That lie, that dementia puts me here. God's out there. And I got to try to get there to him. I got to try to, to, to live up to his standards, to do the things that I'm supposed to do. And I'm, I'm supposed to do all these things in order to get to him, in order to be, well, I'll call it worthy of him, or, or however you want to look to it. And we've created a God that is literally inapproachable or unapproachable. We can talk to him. We feel okay. Yeah, we're going to. But he's unappropriate. We don't have a relationship with him. We have an insurance policy. And, and look, we, we just live our own little lives in this little location of ours. Do you know what that produces? We only see, we only look at God as power. We think of God's power, and that's all we do. We think of his power to do this or his power to do that, his power to send that lightning bolt down from heaven and get you kind of thing. We don't see God as love. doesn't even fit our world. doesn't even come into existence of understanding. We can't measure it up to something because we don't understand it. All we see is God as power, but we never understand him as love. God is love, and that love produces the power of God. And I say that because the question is, where do you stay? Where, where, where does your life abide? Jesus says, come and you will see like you've never seen before. What does John 15, 4 tell us? Very simply, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot 
bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. But what else would he say? I, I mean, especially, he would say what? Come, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you. I'm, I'm going to finish it with, with, again, getting you upset at me. Jesus said, I am what? The way? Okay. I see this might cause a little bit of paradigm shift in the way that you look at things. But Jesus is not the way to heaven. Jesus is the way to the Father. Where I am. Because of that, you can take the other. But if you're looking at Jesus as the way to heaven, you got to understand, he never said that. He said, I am the way. No man comes to the Father except by me. That's why he would say that where I am, there ye may be also. The question is, where are you dwelling? Dwelling in your circumstances? You're dwelling in the problems? I get that. Those are emotional things that are hard to shake. Are you living in the in, in the prognosis and uh, the prognosis? Are you living in what the doctor has said over you? I'll just tell you right now again. That's not your name. Your name is not cancer. Quit defining yourself to, like that. Your, 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 your name is not loser. Quit defining. Your name is, is, is not damaged. Quit defining. Those are names. But there is a name that is higher than any of those names. And he's the one who defines you. Where are you dwelling? You might have an address. But I'll, I'll, just, I'll just say it again. That's a, <laughs> that's a place. I'm saying to us here this morning, and I'm saying it with everything I have in me, that, that we, we need to, to, to see something that we've never seen before. And as a result of that, I'm just saying that this morning, God's wanting you to come and see where you abide, where you live. There's enough food. There's enough strength. There's enough. There's enough. There's enough. If you will seek me passionately, you will find me. Seek First, the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all those things get added. But our problem is we look for the things first. What do you 
Well, where are you dwelling? What are you seeking? What do you see? Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your grace, your mercy, your love, your power, and your goodness. We bless the name of Jesus. We bless the name of Jesus. We bless the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, this morning, challenge each and every believer. We get caught up in all the aspects of the world and all the finagalism and the propaganda and what draws for our attention and yells as noise into our ears. There's so much that's trying to be and so man goes around yelling peace, peace and there is no peace. There is no peace. Jesus that family circle you know, it's sort of like we're, we're the bride, you're the groom, and you and Father and Holy Spirit, that circle, that family that are joined, that are one. And Father has taken us and given us to you so that we have become one and been made a part of that family circle. So you have seated us in heavenly places with you. We don't walk alone. We're a part of something. And I pray that that something, that the eyes of our understanding be opened. And that we be filled Lord, that we would know revelation of you. Understanding, wisdom. God, it's not just about knowing about. This is so intimate. It's intimacy. Where we dwell, where we abide, where we live. Lord, I just thank you morning in this place we have an abiding <laughs> we have a remaining in Jesus in Jesus would you stand with me this morning in Jesus I just I just want speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. 
Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. This morning, in this place, the name of Jesus is being spoken. There's a relationship that is yours. It comes with accepting, receiving, whatever you want to call it. But it takes place because we believe. Jesus simply said, the God so loved, the Father so loved, he gave his one and only begotten Son, me, that whosoever would believe upon him would not perish. but have life as God has it for them. A part of the family joined together in that circle, living in that realm, dwelling on another plane. Yes, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. There's a different address, if you will. There's an abiding. There's a passion. There's a victory. Friend, I'm here to tell you, there is life and life more abundantly. But this morning, it's all about saying yes. And I'm talking to believer and unbeliever alike. Hey, believer, why are we accepting the enemy's lion living down here? Why are we allowing him to come in with his words of deception and slander? And because we feel we can't do or be or become or that we're not wired that way or this or that, we resolve ourselves to live at a level that is nowhere close to what he wants us to live in. Well, I don't know if I can do all that stuff. Would you forget about all that stuff? It's intimacy he's talking about. It's called presence. Spending time with him and letting him spend it. Oh man, I can go on and on. But we're just simply going to sing this song again this morning. We're going to open up these altars once again. You want to find a place of prayer and just abide in him? These altars are open for you again. Your tithes, love offerings be received at the door. furthering of his kingdom. I know there's a lot more I want to say, and I know I'm way out of time, so sing that verse again with me one more time. First verse. Let's find that place. I just want to speak. Let's find that place of abiding this morning. That place of dwelling. Over every heart. Let him open our eyes to see this morning. Let's find that place. I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus.
not going to hold you any longer. I'm going to let you get because, you know, here, we've been here long enough, Pastor. I'll tell you, there's going to come a day where spending time with him won't be hard to find. These altars are still open to let God finish what only God can do. As we sing this song one more time, God bless you. You're dismissed. May God go with you and be with you. Sing the beginning. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name. 